Good morning, everybody. Welcome once again to our Sunday morning Digital Cathedral. Happy to have you with me today, and I hope that you have come ready to learn and be stretched a little bit. We have just finished our study on Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and so now we're prepared to uh, go into some other areas. And so <clears throat> this morning I want to I want to talk about something that has been, I mean, it's been really bugging me lately. Probably since I did the book on Hell's Illusion, I've been really looking at some of the doctrines that we believe, like, like the doctrine of hell, and the more that I, I look at uh, closely at some of the things that we have held so closely as evangelical Christians and what we did in the church world, the more I'm finding that some of these things just don't hold water. There are three doctrines. If you could visualize uh, religion as being, being a stool and it has three legs, I think there's really three legs that prop up the whole idea of religion. Um, things that Jesus never talked about, at least they certainly don't reflect the Father that Jesus came to reveal. And I want to talk about one of those three. Three things that have brought, I mean, tremendous amount of insecurity have brought fear, uh, a sense of separation from the Father. And I'm not going to spend time on two of them, but I, I want to I hone down on one this week and next week. Fair enough? The three are this. Let me just name the three. One is, of course, the doctrine of eternal conscious torment or hell. And I pretty well dispelled that one. I think I, I cut the legs off from that one in the book, Hell's Illusion. The second one would be the idea of having an edemic nature, that you were born sinful, separated from God. And the third one is uh, the idea of penal substitution. Penal substitution is held by 90, probably 99% of the evangelical church. If you're not familiar with the term, it's the term of, uh, that would say that Jesus came and God took all of his anger, his vengeance, his hostility, his hate for mankind out on Jesus. That the Father allowed Jesus to be beaten and tortured to satisfy his need for justice. He allowed Jesus to die a cruel death on the cross to satisfy his bloodthirst. Um, and, and really it's the idea that, that God, sometimes it's called the ransom theory, that God did to Jesus what we all deserved, right? And so he allowed the innocent son to take all of the, the punishment and the, the, the terrible things that Jesus went through for us guilty sons. Not true. I want to challenge one of those three this morning, this morning and for next week. I, I want to take a, a doctrine that has been well entrenched into the church. And this one doctrine is probably called more, cause more sin consciousness, sense of separation, guilt, condemnation, feeling of hopelessness, than any of the other unchallenged, and most of these doctrines have been unchallenged, they're just, they have just been accepted. They've just been accepted doctrines of the church. And we've bought into these things, hook, line, and sinker, not asking questions. And honestly, most of us didn't know enough theology to, to challenge it. And even if we did, our pastor went through probably a school where he was taught these things and never challenged it. So it's just been handed down from generation to generation. And the doctrine that I'm speaking about this morning, Jesus never affirmed it. Paul did not affirm it. They didn't teach it. And what I'm speaking of, and boy, I've, I've really got this, this has been a burr under my saddle for several weeks. 
It's this doctrine of original sin or having an edemic nature. So I'm calling this two-part teaching the edemic illusion, the edemic illusion. Um, what is it? How in the world did it ever become so entrenched in the church? And is it true? This doctrine of original sin says this, basically. See if this, see if this rings bells uh, in your memory. It says that we are born sinful, we're born fallen, broken, defeated, uh, totally depraved. We have this natural bend toward evil. We're automatically separated from God. We're a child of the devil, and we have absolutely no spiritual life in us whatsoever. We are, in fact, spiritually dead, and all of this has been placed on every human being because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Because of Adam and Eve now, all people have been born sinners. Not just sinners, distasteful to God, separate. God has turned his back on us because he's so angry. He's, he's so frustrated with us. I mean, did you ever bring a little baby home from church and look at that little baby and say, you, you sinful, corrupted, perverted, broken down, depraved child of the devil? Did you, did you hold your little boy or girl up and, and think that when you looked into their little face? I'm sure you didn't. I'm sure you didn't. What this doctrine says in effect, in other words, is that we were born or we were created flawed. Let me show you something this morning. God does not create junk, right? He does not create us and then look at us and say, I want absolutely nothing to do with you. Jesus never taught that. Paul didn't teach it. Uh, Judaism didn't even embrace an idea like that. And the early church for the first 400 years had no such doctrine as uh, edemic nature or original sin that was passed from generation to generation. In fact, Paul's take on it in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul gives a great insight about this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, so Adam was the doorway through which sin came into the world, right? If, it, if Adam hadn't opened the door, sin would not have come into the planet, but it did come into the planet. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. Now, uh, the evangelical church would cut it right there. The religion would cut it right there and, see, and say, see right there? It came to all men because of what Adam did. But we're not reading the last part of the verse. This, this is important because it came to all men, watch, because all sinned. All men sinned, right? So Adam opened the door for this. He was, in fact, the original sinner. But we don't have original sin in us because of original sinner. Adam was the original sinner. Adam opened the door to sin and the wages that come from sin, which is death. There is within the seed of sin, there is that death. It, the, you know, God doesn't punish sin. Sin punishes sin. Sin has its own kickback. You can pick, you can pick the sin. You just can't pick the consequences or how far that sin's going to carry out. So all men followed Adam's example. That's the point. I followed Adam's example, right? I can't scapegoat Adam. Every time I've ever told a lie 
or stretch the truth. I can't say, well, Adam made me do it or the devil made me do it. When the church stops scapegoating Adam and the devil, we're going to have to take responsibility for our own actions. And I think that's what's, that's what's being revealed today, is you can't lay this stuff off on Adam. Yes, he opened the door, but you and I voluntarily walked through it. All of us did, because all have sinned. All of us have been involved in sin. But there was nothing inherently that was passed from generation to generation. Jesus proved that. The, the flesh man Jesus did not sin. He did not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He never did. You and I... Religion groomed us to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil by teaching us what was right, what was wrong, what was good, what was evil. Only eat the good, don't eat the evil. And by, by teaching us that, it actually empowered us to eat from the evil. The strength of sin is the law. So when you set down the law and say, this is good, this is evil, do this, don't do this, you're empowering that thing within us that makes us want to do what we want to do. But it's we that want to do it. We can't blame somebody else. All of us have sinned, but we were not born in sin. We were not born in sin. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lay this out for you as we go through. Because I don't, want, I don't want you to inherently feel, you know what, that you were separated from God when you were born, or that God was angry with you, or that you were not a child of God. All that is rubbish. Or that you have to feel condemned because of, you know, your actions and there's nothing you can do about this. St. Augustine, about 400 AD, developed two doctrines. And these two doctrines dovetail into the church. And as I explain this, you're going to see how they feed on one another and how they became very advantageous to the church to dwell on these two doctrines. So, St. Augustine developed two doctrines that came into the Catholic Church, and we in Protestantism, as much as we talk down about Catholics not being Christians and it being, a, you know, kind of a cult or uh, something that God's never blessed or God's not part of, we, we took these two doctrines from Catholicism and then we made them our own. You don't find these two doctrines in Judaism or, or in the Eastern Church, but the two doctrines that Augustine developed were uh, eternal conscious torment, and the other is original sin. Now, these two are going to work together, and I want you to listen to me over the next 10 minutes, and you'll see how the church has used these to produce guilt and shame in your life and then give you a way out of it. All right, so uh, let me just reiterate again. Original sin, the idea that we were born in sin, we are not children of God naturally, inherently, that sin is in our DNA, and that Adam passed that down to us. And then eternal conscious torment says, if you don't get rid of that sin nature, if you don't somehow uh, get right with God because you were born wrong with God, if you don't get right with God, then you will suffer eternal conscious torment. So this, this was a setup. <laughs> Augustine devised a setup. He said, you, you're a big mess. Now we're going to have to look to the church to get us out of the mess, and those two doctors became the two of the main tenets of the church. They still are today. They're still embraced by the church. So what, what Augustine did, listen to me, Augustine made sin a condition and not a choice. The sin choice, he would say, came because of our sin nature. Now, if, if 
if, if that's true, then my question is, how did Adam sin? Because he had no Adamic nature. He didn't have a sin nature. How did Adam, how did this whole thing originate if Adam had no sin nature? He was born in image and likeness of God. And we're going to see that's how we were born and it, and it never changed. James hit on something good in James chapter one. There's a lot in James that are written to Jewish people that that's not the best, but James does say something good in the first chapter, verses 13, 14, 15, right along in there. When James says that every man is tempted, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Lust, lust is having a natural uh, desire but to fulfill a natural desire in an un, unnatural way, right? Like I have a natural desire for money, but to fulfill that in an unnatural way to be to rob the bank, right? That, that's not the way you fulfill that desire. But if I, if I want money and then I am robbing the bank, I've been drawn away of my own lust and I've been enticed. Then James says, when, when uh, lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin brings forth death, right? And we've all we've all seen that chain reaction in our own life, and we can't blame it on Adam. Church has been big on sin, and sins both. By pronouncing the whole world uh, is naturally born into, without their choice, born into a sin nature, and it's always called an endemic nature. So if you accept that then the question is, how can we be put back into a place where we're whole? How can we be made right with God? How can we get rid of this endemic nature? How can we get rid of this original sin? How can we become justified? And this is where, this is where Augustine was really clever, right? He, he made the problem. Now he's going to say, here comes the church. And if you're a Catholic, then you baptize an infant. If you know anything about Catholicism, you know that when that child is baptized, that is uh, the Roman Catholic way of saying this child is now a child of God. Before it wasn't a child of God. Do you understand why Catholics are so quick at, just at a few days old to make sure that child gets baptized? Because if it dies before it's baptized, then it goes separated from God. There's no way back. So... And once that child is baptized, it's a child of God, and it is part of the Catholic uh, family. It's part of the Catholic tradition. Now, in the evangelical church, we would say, no, it's not the baptism of an infant. It's when you pray the prayer. It's when you ask Jesus in your heart, when you ask him to become your personal Lord and Savior. And somehow, I don't know how, but we believed that when you would pray that prayer, that somehow magically this Adamic nature flew out of you and this Christ nature came in and you became a brand new person because of the prayer that you prayed. All right? Now, if you, if you died before you prayed that prayer, then you were going to hell. The prayer was your, was your answer. The prayer absolutely was your answer. Now, the, the, the Protestants do have a little caveat. The caveat that the Protestants bring into this is called the age of accountability. The age of accountability says, even though you're uh, not a child of God, and I'm, I'm going to bring you some illogical thinking here, even though you're not a child of God with an endemic nature born separate and repulsive to God, if you die before you understand all of that, then you get a free pass and God will accept you. Now, there's nowhere in the Bible that 
that's taught. Age of accountability is something that we made up because it just didn't seem morally right that a five-year-old would be burned forever in hell. It didn't make sense. So we came up with this thing of age of accountability, but that's, that's nowhere in scripture. You cannot find a verse on age of accountability. I've heard people say, well, it was, it's 12 when Jesus went into the temple. Okay, so you're telling me when you're 12 years old in one day, then all of a sudden and you die, you're going, going to hell forever. Is that what you're saying to me? Or 13 or 14? Uh, this doctrine is so wicked. I mean, let me tell you how perverted it, it gets people's thinking, but we buy into it. There was a lady in Texas a number of, year ago, a number of years ago called Andrea Yates, and you can Google this if you're not familiar with the, with the story. Andrea Yates was a member of the Church of Christ. The Church of Christ believes in baptismal regeneration, <clears throat> all right? Believes in age of accountability. You gotta accept Jesus, whole thing. So Andrea Yates drowned her five small children. And the reason she drowned them is because she wanted to ensure that they would go to heaven for eternity. Now, if you're gonna buy into that theology, then actually Andrea Yates did her children an eternal favor because there was no chance they would, would miss out on heaven. They died before they reached the age of accountability. So by drowning her children, now when she explained that to the courts, they all said, you're crazy. You're mentally incompetent. And they put her in a mental hospital. Now, other, it shows how illogical, unreasonable this kind of thinking is that we have, that we have embraced and haven't questioned. We, haven't, we have never even done a double take on it. So we just, we just accept that. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that. So without baptism or without saying the prayer, you are an incorrigible uh, sinner, uh, you're separated from God if you die, and that's, that's, that's your eternal fate. And it's all pinned on the edemic nature. Now, let's just stand back and think about this for just a minute. Let's think about this with the mind of Christ. Has it ever seemed strange to you, in any stretch of your imagination, how a loving father would condemn billions of people to eternal conscious torment because of the wrongdoing of somebody else. That, does that add up to you? That if this thinking that because of Adam's fall, then the rest of us are headed to hell unless we do something about it. Adam did the wrong, but we're gonna pay for the wrong that Adam did. Does that, does that sound like a loving father to you? Does that, does that compute with your mind of Christ? That would take a slightly deranged father to come up with that kind of plan. Jesus never said one time, he never said, I came to rescue you from a sinful, fallen nature because Adam and Eve uh, took a bite out of the apple. He never said that. Uh, he never said any, anything ever close to that. In fact, in fact, Jesus never mentioned Adam. You'll not find one parable that Jesus talks about Adam. You'll not find one parable that Jesus ever emphasized edemic nature or fallen nature or original sin. Wouldn't you think something so basic, such a basic tenet of the church that Jesus would have really hammered on it if it was essential that we rid ourselves of this bent toward evil that we were naturally born with? Doesn't it seem like he might at least done it a, 
a few times or he would have really made this a point of emphasis to say, gather around guys, let me explain something to you. Adam messed us all up. Now we gotta get rid of this edemic nature. We have, a, we have original sin in us. Adam passed it down to us and unless we get rid of it, the father's gonna look upon us with a, with a vengeful eye. He's, going, he's not gonna be happy with us at all. He never taught anything like that. Never, never mentioned it. It was, it was articulated and developed by St. Augustine and it deepened over the centuries until it became deeply ingrained within the church. And really the church was hitting on an old sales formula. Uh, the old sales formula says that if you can create a problem, then give a solution, you make a sale. You remember, you remember, I was thinking this week when I was working on this about that old Abbott and Costello movie. I think it was Abbott and Costello. I, I, I got it running in my mind where uh, uh, Costello, uh, Abbott is, is selling vacuum cleaners. So he goes in and the idea is, is he dumps dirt on the lady's floor and then he cranks, that's the problem. Then he cranks up his vacuum and vacuums the dirt all up and shows her what a good job the vacuum does. So he goes into the house, he dumps the dirt out he gets ready to vacuum and he finds out the lady has no electricity, right? Now, there are vacuum salesmen today that don't dump the dirt out. They just come in and vacuum your carpet. You know, they go door to door selling vacuums. You don't see it too much, but some places you do. So he comes into your house where you've just vacuumed. He runs his vacuum cleaner over it and picks up all kinds of dirt. So he's got a problem. The dirt in your carpet is a problem. He brings the solution and that hopefully will equal a sale. Now, what the church has done is they've created a problem. Augustine created the problem on purpose. He developed this doctrine that was never accepted, never taught of creating a problem. You were born a sinner. That's a problem. Separated from God, that's a problem. Edemic nature, that's a problem. Totally depraved, that's a problem. Then he says, here's the solution. Be baptized in the church. And when you're baptized into the church, then you become a child of God, and that takes care of the problem. So as a result of that, the problem, the baptism, equals convert. So we've got now another little Catholic or another little Baptist when you pray the prayer, another little Pentecostal, another little uh, UPC when you speak in tongues. Now all of a sudden we got problem, solution, convert. You see how that's worked? And, and, and Augustine set it up, and the church bought it because it's a good formula. It's a good formula. It creates the problem, gives the solution, and ties you to itself. A sin nature, nor original sin, is not a Jesus thought, it's not a Paul thought, it's not a Jewish thought, it's not an early church thought. It was articulated and brought to the church by Augustine. And it is the source of unbelievable perceived separate. In fact, there have been thousands of messages preached about separation from God because of original sin. Thousands of messages. And so when you accept that doctrine, automatically you accept separation from God. And that's why many people feel separated from God today is because of this doctrine that, was, that, has, been, uh, that has been blown up. Now, did Adam have an effect on humanity? Absolutely did. He opened the door for all of us to walk through. 
We all walk through the door. We've all eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the church, the church has helped us with that by trying to tell us what is good and what is evil. Eat the good, don't eat the evil. Don't eat that evil. And it's just like with Adam. When you say don't eat the evil, then all of a sudden you go, I wonder what that's about. Don't smoke that stuff. I wonder what that's like. And so all of a sudden now you are drawn to that, which you wouldn't have been drawn to if the tree had not been presented, that you were born apart from God, separated, headed for hell from your first breath. That man-made doctrine has kept the wheels of religion just humming smooth, brother. It has kept everything moving well. And I think if you look back at your church life, you can see, I did it as a pastor, set the problem up that you're in, give them the solution, Pray the prayer, and it's all okay, right? Every baby born in this system, every baby born became a prospect for the church to gain a new customer. That's what made it so effective, a new customer who needs that solution that the church is selling. So when we sing one more verse of just as I am, and I've made you see the problem, just as I am without one plea, that brings the solution and so you walk the aisle. Let me ask you a question. What if by some stretch of the imagination we're not born totally depraved with a sin nature? How about if we're born totally blessed with a divine nature? How about if we've had absolutely, as they say in the world, bass backwards? We've had, to, we've had to cart before the horse on this. Look what the creator said about humans. Can I read it for you? This is what he said. And, and you've heard this in church, and then as soon as you've heard it, it was explained away. But here's, here's what God had to say about the whole deal. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, let's look at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There's a plurality there, us and our. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now you couple that. You couple what he said that we are blessed. You couple that with what he said when he first formed us, when he first formed man, he looked at man and everything in creation he said was good. But when he formed man, he looked at us and said, man, that's very good. I did a good job with that one. They were blessed and they were pronounced good from the beginning. Right from the very beginning. None of us, none of us, came into the world broken. None of us came into the world flawed, messed up, bent toward evil, depraved. We came into the world in the image and the likeness of God. Now, because of conditioning and culture and religion and all these things, we were, we were programmed and we got amnesia and we forgot who we were. We forgot what our authentic identity was. And so we let the church 
create an identity in us that said we were broken, we were depraved, we were separated. That was never God's intention. We were born to develop as Jesus developed. We were to grow in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. We were, we were to be nurtured and grown up in the knowledge of who we were. None of us were taught who we were. We were taught who we weren't. We were taught to reach our full potential. Paul caught it. Genesis 1 sounds a lot like what Paul said. You remember what Paul said in, when we studied in the book of Ephesians, that first chapter? See if this doesn't sound like what God said in Genesis to you. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. We're not, we're not under a curse. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. No mention of a demic nature. He, he created, chose us, created us to be blessed, to be chosen without blame. See, you can't have, you can't say without blame and, and, and then say, well, you have an edemic nature or a sin nature. That would put blame on your life. Then he says in verse 5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Doesn't that sound like he, Genesis chapter 1 where God says, let them have dominion. Let's bless them. Let them, let them have everything that they need. And that's just what he said here in uh, Ephesians chapter 1 in verse 3. He blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then if you come over one chapter to chapter 2, verse 10, remember that verse? That he created us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Does that sound like you were jacked up when you came into the world? See, our problem is we take, we take our point of origination either at the cross. Well, back when you prayed the magic prayer, some of us start life there. You were born again, we were told, and so life begins forward. Some go back to the cross. Some go back to uh, creation. But I'm telling you, your actual authentic identity became, began before the foundation of the world. When God selected you and placed you in Christ Jesus. How about 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9? That, we don't read that as often as we read some of those other verses. But doesn't this sound like Genesis chapter 1? 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 says this. He saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now remember, saved is the word sozo. It means uh, whole, um, uh, fulfilled, perfect. That's what sozo means. doesn't mean saved in the, ter in, the, in the respect of you're going to heaven and not to hell. The church has hijacked that word. It, it means a whole lot more than that. Who saved us? Who made us whole? Right? Not, not broken, not, not messed up, not a wreck, not jacked up. He made us holy and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Watch. According to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Before time began. Now, does that sound like totally blessed or totally depraved? There's no evidence or proof that the Father abandoned plan A of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3, 4, 5, chapter 2, verse 10, or 2 Timothy 1, 9, and I could list a number of other verses. 
And I could take you over to Romans chapter 8 where it says every son that he foreknew, every person he foreknew, which is all of us, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Doesn't sound like you came into this thing messed up. Sounds like you came in with a ton, ton of uh, father behind you to make you into something that you had always been, but bring you into the maturity of it, right? Did Adam disobey? Yes, absolutely Adam disobeyed. <clears throat> but even though Adam disobeyed, he remained a son of God, just like a prodigal son. He was still a son. <clears throat> Excuse me. Adam's relationship with God never changed. In fact, in fact, you don't hear this verse taught on either in church. Luke chapter 3, verse 38, as it lines out the lineage of Jesus. It takes it back to Adam, traces it to Jesus. Adam in that lineage is called the son of God. His relationship to the father never changed. Adam got screwed up in his mind. And what he passed on to us was the ability to continue to be screwed up in our minds. Adam's perception of God changed. The relationship that God had with Adam never changed. It never changed. So that perception, that fallen perception that Adam had was passed on and Augustine latched onto that natural feeling of separation and he attached Adam to that and said, hey, the reason we're, we're like we are is because of that sin of Adam. The reason you're always following up and messing up, it's not you that's doing it, it's the sin that's in you that's doing it. It's that it's that endemic nature. So once again, Romans 5.12 says, yes, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. But all have sinned. All have sinned. Adam opened the door, but we all by our choosing walked through the door and ate from the wrong tree. And again, religion taught me to eat from the wrong tree. Religion taught me not to be sensitive to the voice of God. It taught me to make a determination what was right and what was wrong. I was never called on to make that determination. That's why I felt separated from God because I determined to do things maybe that I thought were good and right, but they backfired. I found out they were not right. They were not good. So I felt like, man, I messed up. God must have had it with me by now as many times as I messed up. Jesus came to unveil our true self by living the true us out before us. And he did it for us to see. Jesus lived out before us so we could see how we are to be. In fact, in fact, let me take it a step further. Jesus revealed to us what the Father thinks about us. If you wonder what the Father thinks about you, look at Jesus. He thinks exactly the same about you that he thought about Jesus, still thinks about Jesus. Isn't Jesus the firstborn among many brothers? So the big lie that we're awakening to, along with this idea of eternal conscious torment that we've awakened to and we found out, man, that, that does not hold water. Neither does this doctrine hold water. We're awakening to this thing, this false doctrine that we were born sinful, separated, depraved, and in fact, enemies with God. We were born an enemy with the Father. We're waking up to that. We found out there's never been separation. There's never been a time he didn't love us, embrace us, accept us. Never a time that we were not in the family. The truth is you were born blessed. You were born in union. You were born as a member of, of, of the family. 
And you don't have Adam's DNA running through you. You have divine DNA. You have divine DNA. Do you remember Jeremiah 29, 11? God says, I know the plans I have for you. Thoughts for good, not for evil. Thoughts to build you up, not to destroy you. Thoughts to bring you into fulfillment, not to wreck your life. How, how, do, how do we see other people? See, this affects, this affects not only how you see you, but affects how you see other people. If you see yourself as depraved, sinful, uh, repulsive to God, then that becomes the lens through which you see other people. But now when you can embrace for yourself that you have always been loved, you've always been accepted, you've always been embraced, you are not born messed up. You are not born with a sinful nature. You were born with a divine nature. When you can accept that about you, then it makes it easier and you will develop a sense where you will begin to see every other person born in the same way that you were, right? I believe everyone is ultimately good at the core of their being. I believe everybody is. I believe everybody has the image and the likeness of God stamped on them indelibly. There isn't any place in scripture that I can find where God said, I have stopped reproducing people in my image and likeness. Problem is we don't know that. We've been sold a bill of goods that said we have a, a, an image and a likeness that is contrary to God. You, you, you don't hear somebody go and preach an evangelistic message and tell people that they are, they are stamped in the image and likeness of God. When somebody preaches an evangelistic message in a Pentecostal church or a Baptist church, it's a message about how bad you are, how deprived you are, how separated you are. And you better do something about it and I've got the solution. You better do something about it or you'll be eternally lost. Evangelism would be much more effective if we would explain to people who they really are, what kind of image they've really been stamped with, who they really belong to, whose child they actually are. See, it's the goodness of God that leads men to change their minds, to repent. We've not done a good job of presenting the goodness of God to men. What we've done a good job at is telling people how bad they are, how sinful they are, how separated they are, how untasteful to God they are. That God's, God's angry with them. He, he can't look on sin. He can't look on you if you sin. So if I go to church, the roof's going to fall in because I have gone so far. That's how people think. I've gone so far. Sin. Sin is nothing but a mistake, mistaken identity, not knowing who you are. That's plural, sin. When you don't know who you are and you have taken on a false identity, that's sin. That, it, missing the mark, harmatia, missing the mark. You know what the mark is? The mark is authentic identity. And when you miss that mark, when you, when you buy into the endemic nature, when you buy into sin nature, when you buy into total depravity, you've missed the mark. You're thinking over here when the target is here. And when you think over here, when you're thinking with a wrong identity, you know what follows? Wrong actions. That's, that's what sins, plural, are. Sins are the actions that come out of a false identity. Our message to the world should be, wake up to who you are. When someone, when someone knows who they are and they embrace that, then there's, there's 
something crazy that happens. All of a sudden, they begin to act different. You should teach your kids who they are. If you've got small children at home, you should set them down. Let them know what prized possessions of God they are. Don't tell them you, you know, you you guys are, you're, you're acting wrong. You're, you're, the devil's, the devil is influencing you. Don't bring the devil into anything. Man, I, I hope you've gotten past the idea of this little guy with a red suit and a pitchfork and long tail and big ear, big pointy ears. Don't, the devil, don't give him any credit for anything. Jesus, Jesus, whatever you think the devil is, I don't care what you think he is, Jesus defeated it, made an open show of it. So whether you think it's something that goes on in your head or you think it's an actual entity, it really doesn't matter because it's been defeated. Sins are simply acting out of a wrong identity. Now watch this verse. You're going to see this verse different. This is a revelation. John chapter 1, verse 29 John sees Jesus, and he says right there, he points out Jesus. He says right there is the Lamb of God, watch, who takes away the sin, plural, singular, takes away the sin, singular, of the world. What did Jesus come to do? He came to remind us, to awaken us, to show us what our authentic identity is. He took away the sin of the world. Just because you have the capacity the ability to eat from the wrong tree does not mean you were born defective. See, far from it. I've got, I, I, I want to I flush this out of everybody at the digital cathedral, this idea that I was born defective. You were not born defective. You were born righteous, pure, perfect, lovely. You were born with a divine DNA. That, that's how you were born, right? Church has a long history telling people how bad they are. Church has built a multi-million, billion-dollar industry on telling people how bad they are, and we got the solution. We'll get you out of the mess. You're headed for hell, which non-existent. We, we have an unneeded solution for a non-existent problem. What a smokescreen. What a joke. What a joke. We have... We have a solution for a non-existent problem. I don't need your solution for a non-existent problem. Church sings the message it believes. How about this? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Oh, that's wonderful. We all, that's amazing grace. That saved a wretch like me, right? That's the identity that the church has planted on us. We're wretch. You are a sinful, no good, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see, right? All right, that, it, that's all good stuff. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I once was blind, but now I see. Was lost, I'm now I'm found, lost in our mind. But when you, when you plug the wretch in there, then this wretch has got to do something to get his eyes open and to be found. He's got to make himself available to be found. So if you come to the altar today, we, God will find you. Meet, meet God here. Have you ever heard that? We need you to come this morning. Come forward. Let's meet God down here at the altar. You can't get away from an omnipresent Father. He is wherever you are. You don't have to come to an altar to meet him. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's never looked on you as needing, as needing something to come back to him. He's always been there for you. He created you and he stood back and looked at you and said, man, 
Very good. You're a masterpiece. That's what he said when he looked at you. You are some kind of special masterpiece. You're a chip off the block of divinity. That's what he said. Didn't know Peter. I mean, Peter had his, had his problems. Peter had a hard time letting go a lot of the Jewish stuff. But he said something good here in, uh, in Peter, which is right after James, in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said some good stuff. He had, a, he had an understanding of some of this. In, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And I've taught on that so many times. Peter said, man, we, we've been, we have been born, we've come from death, from wrong identity to right identity through the resurrection. When we came out of that tomb with Jesus, we dropped all of the, all of the mess, all of the bad identity, the false identity, and we came out as a new creation. We came out as a new man. So he says, to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade. Wow, that's pretty awesome. Then he also, Peter also tells us that we have become partakers of the divine nature. He, he didn't say, you poor thing, I hope you make all the right choices. Peter, Peter never even alluded to, you better come down front and pray the prayer. You better get your life right. I got cards right here. If you'll sign, we'll pray over these and, and we'll follow up and you get into discipleship class and you get into Sunday school and you tithe and all these things are gonna help you to, to really get your life right. That's what you need to do. Get your life right. Get rid of that old being. Put off the old man, which is false identity. It has nothing to do with your, your actions. Your, your actions follow your identity. If some of you have had children, you know, maybe you've, you're walking in this, but you look at your kids, your kids are messed up. You say, how in the world could they be messed up? I'll tell you why they're messed up. They have a wrong identity, the wrong perception of themselves. Somewhere along the line, they bought into the lie that they're worthless, no good. They weren't, were never gonna make it. That they were different. They bought into that, right? I believe it is more faithful to the heart of the Father to understand and see all men as totally blessed, not totally depraved. I believe if you're going to look at men with the eyes of Jesus, you're going to see them exactly like the Father does. In fact, Paul said, we don't know anybody after the flesh because the flesh is not you. You, you, may act, you may act one way, but that's not who you really are. Who you really are, somebody needs to reach inside of you and pull out who you really are. Can I ask you something? Can I ask you to, to join me to be a worldwide digital community that sees ourselves and sees every person that we encounter? I want you to, every person you see this week, you encounter, I want you to see them as beloved, cherished, infinitely worth the entire world. I want you to look at them with God's eyes and see their potential. Truth is, we've always been loved by the Father. Truth is, we've always had his nature. Truth is, we've always been his beloved sons and daughters. And we have been blessed with that understanding here at the Digital Cathedral that we can be a blessing to other people. All right, I want to pick it up right here next Sunday. I've got a lot more to say about this. I just wanted to lay down some thinking today so some of you that are watching, this is a new idea, man. You've, you've thought somehow you got rid of that endemic nature that's, 
that has plagued you now that you, uh, you know, you're born again or whatever, that you, you know, you're fighting it. You're still fighting it, but you, you, you think you got rid of it some way. I hope I laid down some foundation. You can't find, if you find a parable Jesus taught about edemic nature, you, you private message me. I'd like to see it. Yeah, Paul said, just as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. He didn't say because of Adam everybody died, but all of us that followed Adam, the same, the same pattern Adam followed. Look, we've, we suffered the same consequence, which was alienation in our thinking. Paul said we've been alienated in our minds by wicked works. It was those wicked works that made us think, man, something's wrong with us. I'm not like God. Something's wrong with me. And we believed a lie. But Jesus came and straightened the authentic identity out to what it should be. And so in him, we all take that authentic identity and we follow after it. Amen. Hey, it's been good to be with you. Hope you have a good, wonderful week ahead of you. Like I said, we'll pick this up next week. Wednesday night, we'll we'll talk about this a little bit more. But I don't I don't think any of us can ever hear too much about weeding out this wrong identity. Some of you still you still don't feel worthy to ask God or to fellowship with the Father as a son. You still think there's something in there that's wrong. There's nothing inside of you that's wrong at all. What is in you is perfection. It's Jesus himself. You and he are one together. All right, I've said enough. See you next Sunday morning, same time, Digital Cathedral. Thank you for the prayers. Thank you for your support. It means a whole lot. Keeps us going. And we'll see you Wednesday night. And let's go again next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Central. God bless.